When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. It feels good to say that introduction again. With me today to preview the USA's upcoming World Cup qualifier with Jamaica is a man who, I have to say, basically committed podcast adultery last week. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joseph. Oh no, Taylor, what did I do? I mean, I, I, I turn on the show with you and Tom, which was great. It was a great conversation. <laughs> but if people haven't heard it, y'all broke down the U.S. roster for these upcoming games. The episode began with Joe just lumping in praise for Tom's facial hair. I'm not going to lie. It was hard to hear a man with a beard having to sit there and listen to his podcast partner talk about another person's facial hair, the good chemistry, the good banter. I don't know, Joe. I don't know, Joe. I don't know how I felt about it. So you're feeling threatened, Taylor, is, is a little really bit. the reality here at this point. I, I'm sorry, Taylor, your, your spot is always safe. As, <laughs> your spot is always safe. Um, what I did want to ask you, though, is how was... How was vacation? I think you talked about it maybe a little bit on the weekend review. I still haven't finished all the way. I still haven't gone all the way through that show. But how was vacation? How was breaking into Soccer House? How was all that stuff? (laughs) Uh, We avoided Soccer House, uh, or so so the cover story goes. Uh, It was really nice. We saw some friends in Kansas City. We saw uh, my mom and some family out on the West Coast, and that was really nice. We took uh, Reverie to Yosemite, and I managed to... Uh, not drop her in the middle of a river and not drop her from a mountain, which I was terrified about. I already have sort of a fear of heights. Uh, and I definitely, when Margaret, uh, my wife, had had our daughter strapped to her as we were at a scenic overlook, I just kept being like, she can't crawl out of that, right? I was the paranoid parent for that one, which is not <laughs> who I usually am. But I guess when it comes to heights, that's who I am. So I'm excited to not be on top of mountains or in any elevated position as we have this conversation, Joe. I'm nervous enough. I don't need heights to accentuate that. No, that's true. And I, I, so I do not have kids and I would like to someday. I also have a moderate fear of heights currently and adding a small being who is somewhat mobile to that whole situation does not sound particularly ideal. Well played um, on, on your part for getting out of that with three <laughs> people, you. the three people that you came with. It's really, it's, it's, it's such a like lunatic brain thing for me that I, I'm not even like necessarily just afraid of heights. Like I have got no problem flying, but it's just when I'm on, on top of something and my brain is like, you know, you could jump over this if you wanted uh-huh. to. It's right uh-huh. there that I suddenly become very, <laughs> very nervous. Uh, and then I do create ridiculous scenarios as I talked about yesterday. Uh, I used to be terrified of going across long bridges because I was convinced that Godzilla would come through and destroy the bridge. I was like 12 at the time, but still <laughs> active imagination is both good and bad is I guess what I'm saying. Oh, I mean, it keeps things interesting, Taylor, to say the least. <laughs> It does. So uh, let's see if we can keep things interesting by talking about this game against Jamaica that the U.S. men's national team has coming up. I said I was nervous earlier. I'm not sure if I am, but I'm not sure if I'm not. So we'll see how uh, we go with this one. But Joe, we've got uh, three games coming up for World Cup qualifying, starting with Jamaica this Thursday, October 7th. Coverage begins at 730 Eastern on ESPN2, Univision and TUDNA. 
again, 7.30 coverage means it could be 7.35 kickoff. It could be 8.07 kickoff. Anywhere in <laughs> there, you never know for sure. Then Sunday, we're away to Panama. Wednesday, we are home co- to Costa Rica. For U.S. national team games, I guess I say we. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm fine with that one. But we've got the schedule in place. USA, Jamaica. Joe, we're going to talk about the United States, the roster, some lineups. I know you and Tom have already done plenty of that. Plenty of that. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about Jamaica. Uh, so we both watched some footage. Let's start with the roster, Joe, and maybe a potential lineup. Uh, just some names that jumped out to you when you saw the squad. Who are some of the bigger names? Who are the ones that maybe you wrote down as a potential threat or a potential opportunity? Sure. Yeah, I've got Andre Blake in goal to start this whole situation. He has Mm -hmm. been one of the best goalkeepers in Major League Soccer this season in terms of shot stopping. And he's a guy, much like Matt Turner, who can change games with his shot stopping ability. And for Jamaica to have him in net, even though he wasn't able to keep a lot of goals out in the first World Cup qualifying window, that I don't necessarily think that belongs. That blame belongs on his shoulders. He's a guy who can stop a lot of shots, and he's a player who the U.S. are going to have to be very wary of in net. So Andre Blake, the union's goalkeeper in Major League Soccer, is a key guy for me. Kamar Lawrence, as well, was another one. Left back, started against uh, the U.S. He started against the U.S. a a bunch in the past. He plays for Toronto in Major League Soccer, had a stint in Europe, um, and before that he was with the New York Red Bulls in MLS as well. He's a real threat at left back. He can bomb up that left side. He often provides width in that left midfielder for Jamaica. They usually play a four at the back shape. That left midfielder, whoever that player is, will often cut inside or or at least just tuck inside and play in the half space. And they have a nice little left-sided combination there. Kamar Lawrence is a player to watch. And then there's a couple, well, there's a lot of, of UK-based players on this roster. Yeah. And Taylor, you and I have talked about that before. We talked about some of the reasoning behind that, Jamaica making this real dual national push. There's a number of different guys that are worth watching uh, that are UK-based here. Mikel Antonio is a big name, probably the biggest name on this entire squad, West Ham striker in the Premier League. He's been very good for West Ham so far this season. Not so good for Jamaica in his first ever cap for them last window against Panama, I believe. But he's a guy that the U.S. is certainly going to have to pay really close attention to up top. Yeah, uh, no disagreement here. I would add Alvis Powell, who I would assume would be starting right back in that back four those two Lawrence and uh, Powell do seem to be very involved in Jamaica's more promising attacking opportunities getting getting forward getting wide getting in crosses and in a lot of the games I saw the person who seemed most intent on getting on the end of those crosses was Shamar Nicholson who could start up top in a kind of more conventional number nine role though I doubt he wears number nine but he is an aerial threat, uh, but can also kind of bring that ball down and then lay it off to late arriving runners. So the United States probably want to limit uh, service from out wide to the extent they can. I would guess we're going to get some combination of uh, Devin Williams and Daniel Johnson as your kind of two more central, more defensive-minded midfielders, not necessarily saying they will be sitting at home because I think Jamaica can do a couple different things. And Bobby D. Cordova Reed was the other name that stood out to me. Could start up top alongside Mikel Antonio potentially. Can play as more of a number 10 in a 4-2-3-1, but can cause problems regardless of where he's playing. So we've got some names, Joe, that we want to keep an eye on that we want to sort of make sure the United States are dealing with appropriately. But let's look at Jamaica as a whole for a moment. You mentioned we expect them to be in a back four. To my mind, there are like three-ish different looks that Jamaica could bring out based on what we've seen them do in World Cup qualifying so far. Worth noting, their World Cup qualifying campaign has not started strongly. One point from three games, their bottom of the CONCACAF table right now. Uh, But Joe, I've got sort of three looks, all with a back four. What about you? 
Yeah, so so Jamaica is a really versatile team because they have a lot of individual talent. They they are one of the most talented teams, I would argue, in CONCACAF. But the issue right now for manager Theodore Whitmore is that the players just haven't had much time to play together, right? Yeah. In the last World Cup qualifying window, they called in a 35-man squad because there was issues with a lot of the UK-based players traveling over to North and Central America to play. And so eventually those players did get in. But in the first game that they had in that window... They had eight. Uh, they had they had obviously eleven starters, but from that first game to the next game, they had eight different players changing in that roster. So it's it's an evolving squad. They had eight of those UK based guys start in the second game of the window that didn't start in the first game, and then some of those guys didn't start in the third game either. It's been very fluid for Whitmore right now, and I I sympathize with the challenges that come with trying to get players closer together and, and build that chemistry that happens on and off the field. Jamaica just haven't had a lot of time to do that yet. As far as how they play, there's so much talent. And and for me, Taylor, a lot of what Jamaica do comes down to individuality and trying to take advantage of individual matchups. They don't have this really concrete possession style of play. They'll play in a four at the back shape, usually a 4-4-2, as far as I've seen it. But sometimes that shape changes and it becomes more of a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-5-1 defensively. So it is fluid to an extent. But it's it's about absorbing pressure defensively. They they absorbed a ton of pressure against Mexico, or at least they tried to, and they did similar things against Panama and Costa Rica. But they will step forward. They will press. They will try to win the ball. And when they get the ball back, it's really vertical for Jamaica. They they win the ball, and they try to go aggressively and take advantage of Mikel Antonio dropping in to hold the ball up and then uh, send runners off of him. They try to find Bobby Reed, who you mentioned, Taylor, who can get on the ball and create a little bit. It's not It's not really patient. From Jamaica, it's much more direct, it's vertical, it's more red bullion than it is like Manchester City, right? Yeah. Yeah. No no arguments here uh at all with, with the the way they want to attack. I saw Joe, t- tell me where, where you are on this one. I saw them having three different approaches to that uh defensive side of things. I saw them being sort of open and like a lot of the problems we used to see from the United States when they would go with that 4-4-2 mid block uh when Jamaica were in a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1, 4-1-4-1 sometimes regardless when they're set up at midfield. It seems to be a little bit more static and a little bit more standoffish and so ball playing center backs or a, a sort of number 6 who gets on the ball and is confident could really open them up and find lots of space. So what seemed to be more successful against Mexico when they were away to Mexico and World Cup qualifying, still a 2-1 to one loss, but uh, played them uh, like neck and neck for a good long while, was sitting much, much deeper into a low block 4-4-2, everybody back, and then trying to counter pretty aggressively. That would be the second look. The third that I didn't quite remember, but went back, read my notes, watched some of the footage, was in the Gold Cup game versus the United States. Matthew Hoppy gets the the late winner with the header, but so many of my notes were about how aggressive Jamaica was in their press and yeah. how often they stepped and made the United States uncomfortable. And that seemed to work pretty well for them. So though the 4-4-2 like, deep block probably frustrates the United States more and sort of accentuates problems that exist in the U.S. team that we saw the last window, we've seen Jamaica have success with the more high-intensity press, the, the more aggressive step. My guess would be that they'll end up trying to kind of split the difference and do both at different points. But Joe, coming from a United States perspective, which would you rather see them do? Which would you prefer to see them do if you want the United States to get the win, which I'm assuming that you do? If you're Greg Berhalter, you want Jamaica to press you, right? You want them to step forward and, so. and leave some space between their lines. Or at least this is my perspective here because 
Think back to that Canada game, Taylor, the second World Cup qualifier. Canada sat back in a 5-4-1 block that sh- shifted and changed into a 4-4-2 yep. at times. But they sat back pretty deep in their own half. They rarely, if ever, pressed. And they made the U.S.'s life miserable. And the U.S. showed in that game that they could not break down a low block. And I don't know why, if you're Jamaica, I don't know why you wouldn't lean into that. I don't know why you wouldn't watch that tape and say, guys, we can replicate this. We can do exactly what Canada did. We can shift laterally. We can compress space. We can try to keep things tight between our lines, limit space in those areas, win the ball, and then attack through our our really talented individual attacking players. We can move through the wings. We can have Kamar Lawrence overlap and hit him wide on the left side. We can find Mikel Antonio or Bobby Reed or whoever up top. Junior Flemings is another dangerous attacker for them who plays in USL. There's a lot of, of talent here that I think is best served when they're when, when Jamaica is sitting deep and attacking that way. So if you're the U.S., you don't want them sitting deep. You don't want to have to go through the process to break down that block, try to find those slivers of space, break into those space. I mean, that's that's a hassle. If you're the U.S., I think you're much better suited to a game that has the opposition stepping forward and giving space to you and saying, hey, you just have to go and, and be able to have the quality to break through and find those spaces when we're extended. If, if Jamaica is deep, I think the U.S.'s life is going to be a lot harder. All right. So if I'm making a list of things to keep an eye on, the first one is Jamaica's defensive approach from the from kickoff from early in the game. The reason why they might not want to go with that more defensive approach is number one, because as I said earlier, they do rely on their fullbacks to create attacking chances and to give them width, but to play those balls in. So you then potentially leave yourself pretty exposed, which is, I believe, how Costa Rica ended up getting their first goal was Jamaica overcommitting numbers and getting caught on the break. I also think they might not want to do that because there's a decent chance your starting center backs for this one for Jamaica are Damian Lowe and Adrian Mariapa. Might be Liam Moore, but if it's not, it's Mariapa who is currently unattached and is 35 years old, and it's Damian Lowe who is playing for Al Itihad. So not the strongest level of competition for either one of them, and I wouldn't say either of them is particularly fleet of foot so maybe it's Liam Moore who plays for Reading in England but if it's Mariapa and Lowe I I think you don't want to risk getting them exposed so maybe then again the defensive block makes makes a bit of sense if Jamaica do sort of go with a more aggressive pressing approach I'm assuming that a lot of that would be because of all of the attacking talent they do have I, I think of them as sort of weaker in defense strong in goal and then getting stronger as we go further towards the U.S. goal, basically. They have energy in the front line, certainly, to press, Mm -hmm. right? They have the work rate in a lot of those players to be aggressive and to get in your face. Taylor, one defender I wanted to add, I believe he's on this roster, Ethan Pinnock, Brentford's Ethan Pinnock, uh, central defender. He's been pretty good for Brentford, at least in in what I've watched of them this season. Uh, Same last year with them in the championship he is a guy who I think is, is probably the best center back on this roster and should start, and he's a threat in the air. So Jamaica do have some talent in the back, and it wouldn't surprise me if we saw Pinnock in this game on Thursday. Joe, yeah, that's a great shout. Sorry to interrupt. I just No, I, you're fine. I, I failed to note him, but I, I think Pinnock is also left-footed, uh, and Damian Lowe is right-footed. Damian Lowe is, is going to start this game, I think, uh, is the captain. I always reference this when we talk about Jamaica. But the clip that exists of him negotiating with the Jamaican FA, and it's just sort of like, nah, we're not doing that. And like, he does not back down. The dude has got grit. And so uh, I think he will start. I like Damian Lowe a lot. But you are right that Pinnock does give them a different look and does give them a little bit more uh, speed at the back. So that is a great shout for who could also be back there. Regardless, we're expecting it to be a back five. And we know it will be Kamar Lawrence on one side and Alvis Powell on the other. At least I know that. Joe, are you agreeing with those two? Yeah, I mean, Kamar Lawrence for sure, and it looks likely that Alvis yeah. Powell will start at right back in that in that back four. So I think we will see 
We will see Jamaica sit deep. We also will, Taylor, to go back to kind of what we were talking about before, we will see them stepping forward and, and pressing. Even though they didn't do a lot of that in the first window, based off of that Gold Cup game against the U.S. that you that you mentioned earlier on in this episode already, and based off of just other, other moments we've seen from Theodore Whitmore's team, they like to step forward and they like to press because they have the talent to do that. The issue for Jamaica, though, right now is, I, I, and I, I think this was the biggest thing that stood out to me from watching all of their film from the first three games, they left so much space between their lines when they pressed. Yeah. They had at times these just massive gaps between their back four and their midfield four or maybe their midfield five when they pressed, depending on the shape. They would step forward or, or even when they were back in their block, Taylor, just yep. so they lack so much discipline. And this is one of the things that I think is a symptom of the lack of chemistry in this squad. Uh, there's there's massive holes in this team's defensive defensive shape and defensive setup that the U.S. can exploit almost no matter how Jamaica defends. If they're in a low block against Panama, against Costa Rica and Mexico, there were weak there were weak points in that low block. If they're in mid block or, or stepping higher up the field to press, there are going to be weak points there. So that's one thing I'm certainly going to be watching in this game. If Jamaica press or even if they're deeper. Where are the spaces and how effective are the U.S. at finding those spaces? Because Panama could do it. And if Panama can do it, the U.S. needs to be able to do that as well. I want to talk about a few more potential opportunities for the United States that Jamaica could present. Uh, But first, I want to take a moment to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back, Joe. I was debating whether or not uh, that was the good time to take a break. And the reason why I chose to is because you had me sort of on the edge of my seat. I was feeling optimistic. It seems like there are some some opportunities for the United States. Let's keep going with that. What are the the things you spotted in watching Jamaica that, that you think you think the U.S. could really capitalize upon? You talked a little bit about the gaps in the space between the lines. That seemed to be a pretty ever-present thing from their last four or so games. It absolutely is, Taylor. And and I do think it's worth going just a beat longer on that idea. There's space between the midfield, the midfield line and the defensive line for Jamaica. Same with, with the forward line and the midfield line. Jamaica oftentimes will defend with that front two, but they don't apply, or, or, or at times they don't apply a ton of pressure on the other team's build-up unit. And by that, I mean the center backs and the goalkeeper. And if it is Matt Turner, he's not really an asset with his feet, in my view. But the center backs can be, even without John Brooks, who is not going to be in this camp. He withdrew. Um, so it, it's likely going to be Miles Robinson and someone else. Tim Ream's also not in this camp. So it's it, it's a somewhat reduced center back core. I hope it's Chris Richards in that center back group alongside Miles Robinson. But whoever those two center backs are, they're likely going to have at least some time and space on the ball to kickstart attacks and play through midfield, find a winger dropping in. There are opportunities there for the U.S. to build and and find and exploit those gaps in possession, but there's also opportunities for them to do it 
in an uglier way, maybe a less aesthetically pleasing way. You don't have to exploit that space with the ball on the ground and with this beautiful possession play. You can also find it with second balls, right? If you play yep. a long ball up to Ricardo Pepe or up to Tim Way or whoever, right? Maybe, maybe you're trying to find Weston McKinney who's making a run into that forward line. You can find those players, have them chest the ball down, and th- that space is still there, right? You can play more direct. You can try to fight for those 50-50 balls or maybe they're 70-30 balls if you've, if you've done your hold-up play, right? You can fight for those second chances in in more attacking spaces, still in front of Jamaica's back line, win possession there, and then go again, and you've done that field advancing work. So you can do it in a couple of different ways, and I think the U.S. maybe doesn't necessarily have the ability right now from what we've seen in the last window and, and previously under Greg Berhalter. I don't know that they have the the talent and the cohesiveness to play really through those gaps with all this beautiful possession play on a consistent basis. I'd love to be wrong, but even if they don't have that quality possession play ability in their bag right now, they should still be able to find those gaps by playing a bit more direct and winning those 50-50s. The only thing I will say to that, I think you're absolutely right that if they're going long, we want to see the U.S. fighting and winning those 50-50s or winning those second balls. But in listening to Burhalter talk about uh, what went right and wrong, mostly wanted to talk about what went right. But when he was talking with uh, Bobby Warshaw on their podcast, he, he talked a lot about how the United States was overly direct and to the point where it seemed like the players were sort of doing that against what he was asking yeah. them to do. Yeah. And so I kind of kept that in my head thinking about this game. And so maybe we'll see more of that, but it will be more coordinated, organized and deliberate. But we might also see even more of a focus on ball retention and passing and moving just to show that like they can do it and they can execute the game plan and that that is Berhalter's preferred approach. So I, I'm with you that they could be more direct and there could be more of a plan for that and they could vary it up at times. But if they are going to try to possess and pull Jamaica apart, I think, as you've already said, there are plenty of opportunities there. One specific one I wanted to note is that when Jamaica defend, again, oftentimes it's it's that sort of 4-4-2, and that oftentimes if you have the outside back for the opponent, uh, I'll go with Jamaica or uh, Mexico for this one in the Mexico game. Uh, when Mexico's uh, right back would advance up the pitch, it was usually uh, Sanchez on the right. That meant that the left sided midfielder was tracking that runner and Jamaica basically went into a five, three, two, which makes sense, except that there's then a ton of space in front of that left side for Jamaica that no one is filling. And if a Mexican player moved there and received the ball, it was then the left midfielder, it was Campbell in that game, who had to step. So it's basically the left midfielder marking the outside fullback, but then also having to step forward to deal with any player on the ball. And I think if the U.S. can find that space and get some overloads on that side, there will be opportunities to sort of have these quick passing combinations and get in behind the defense. But I think really it's going to be relying on the United States being sort of brave in the way they want to pass forward and trying to kind of play the ball 20, 30 yards, maybe into traffic, but then making a lot of runs off the ball so that it's not pass, receive, turn, pass, receive, turn, pass, receive, hold. It's pass, layoff, pass wide, pass back, and suddenly Jamaica are pretty open and there for the taking. I think that would be the way I would like to see the United States go more readily more often is that sort of aggressive passing but not just overly reliant on long direct balls I hope we see that too Taylor because I really do believe that this Jamaica game could be the perfect opportunity for the U.S. to run out some of those things right and to show that they have improved in possession 
Because, yeah, there is that possibility that Jamaica could high press like we saw in the Gold Cup. And that makes the U.S.'s life a little bit dif- more difficult in, in, in when you're being high pressed inside your own box or inside your own final third or your own defensive third. Excuse me. It, it does make sense at times to play the ball long and try to collect those second balls or, or just to, to play a bit more direct. But if Jamaica is sitting off, based off of what we saw from them in September, there's plenty of space to exploit. Whether that is with a, an, a wide midfielder for Jamaica dropping back into the back line, that then changes their shape and, and opens up space in other places. When, when defensive players move, different pockets of space are opened up. That's just how it works, right? And, and with Jamaica, they do a lot of those wide rotations, dropping players back. They played Corey Burke, who's a, really a, a striker. Theodore Whitmore played him as a left-sided midfielder or a right-sided midfielder a lot in the first window. And Corey Burke isn't on this roster, but we could see something similar with a player who maybe isn't a natural wide midfielder and therefore doesn't like to do as much defensive tracking and, and track back to help that fullback, even if it might be their responsibility to do so. So there's there's going to be no shortage of opportunities for the U.S. to actually play and find gaps, I think, at least. And you know, if they're not able to do that, that's that's going to be a bit of a problem if, if they can't leverage the direct play then as the backup plan. But Man, it feels like all of the stars have aligned for this game to be not a possession clinic, because I think that's expecting too much from the U.S. men's national team, but to see them actually pass and move and to see some semblance of what Greg Berhalter's stated vision has been with this team. I'm glad you mentioned Corey Burke there. Uh, he is not on the roster. I I think that is uh, due to injury. Uh, and I know also that Anthony Grant, who we've seen play as a holding midfielder for Jamaica in the past, also not in this squad due to concussion injuries in England. So they are going to be missing uh, two fairly prominent players or players who have been prominent for them uh, so far. So Joe, if we do end up seeing Jamaica in a more defensive bunker, what would you like to see the United States do? Or what could an opponent do? Let's keep it generic to start, because I think... I think we kind of hit this when we did uh, our World Cup qualifying shows last time, but I wanted to kind of just go back to it, that playing against a bunkered opponent is really, really difficult, especially if you're doing so uh, at international level where you don't have a ton of time to prep, you don't have a ton of time to practice and drill and work on ways of passing through that. Also, I guess moving away from the generic for a moment, uh, when you're missing Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, it makes it that much harder. So what would you like to see the United States do? What would basically, if it's in those first 15 minutes, if Jamaica are sitting in, if it's a 4-4-2, if it's deep, and if they are sort of doing their best to cover that space, what would you like to see from the U.S.? What are some things we could see that would make you feel optimistic, even if we're not getting good goal-scoring opportunities in those first 15? I want to see quick but also smart, smart and not rushed ball movement. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think one thing that's really important in how you break down a block is you have to move the ball to shift the opposition's block, right? At least in most situations. If they're back mm-hmm. in a four four two, if Jamaica are back in a four four two, you have to move the ball to force Jamaica to adjust and, and to give them to entice them into winning the ball themselves, right? So if you don't move the ball quickly enough, the block really isn't going to be moving and, and you're not going to be threatening them. So that's 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 the challenge though with ball movement. You need to move it at speed, but you also need to move it wisely. You need to move it into good spots. You can't just move it back and forth between the same two players, right? That's not really accomplishing the goal, even if you move it quickly. Moving the ball laterally from one side and then drawing Jamaica forward, maybe you combine a bit on that side and then you switch it over to the other side. And you you either, you know, move it across the back line in some sort of a U-shape to the other side from right to left or whatever the situation is. You do that or maybe you hit a long diagonal switch out to that side and you play over there and there's space there because ideally the ball moves faster than the opposition's defensive block. The U.S. will move the ball theoretically 
faster than Jamaica's block. That's that's something you want to see. And then as the block starts to split and open up and gets disorganized because all the players cannot move together like robots and move perfectly in sync, there are going to be spaces. Then you find those spaces and play aggressively into the gaps. You find Tim Weah dropping in. You find Brendan Aronson dropping in. You find Eunice Musa or Luca De La Torre or Weston McKinney or whoever. You find them in central spaces, and that's that's part of the code. You've partially cracked into the safe at that point. Now you just have to progress the ball forward, and it's not easy to, to continue once you've gotten the ball into the middle of the block. But at least you've won part of the battle at that point. So we need to see those kinds of things from the U.S. if they want to be breaking Jamaica down. Because, Taylor, they couldn't do that stuff against Canada. And they really couldn't do that stuff earlier in the window as well. They weren't very effective with their ball movement. They didn't always play a lot of smart passes. They would go too direct, but not in a really productive way that would open up gaps and and present opportunity for second balls. Against Canada, it was way too many forced diagonal balls out to the wing without doing the first part of that step, without actually shifting Canada to one side and then playing the diagonal. It was like you were just trying to jump into speaking a foreign language without ever actually learning it, and you just started speaking gibberish, right? So some of those yeah. things really need to be cleaned up for the U.S., and I think those that ball movement with, with purpose and with intentionality and speed, those are really important things that the U.S. is going to have to display, both against Jamaica and in other games in this window. Yeah, because in some of those games in the last round, we would see the like kind of big switch too early and it would be overhit or it would be sort of just a little bit misplayed. But we would also see the U.S. sort of work it from one side to the other. And then you could see like um, one Mississippi later. Oh, right. I'm supposed to show. And then you'd see some movement. And then you'd see some people moving to try to support. But at that point, the opponent is able to cover, they're able to, able to track things. You're not really discombobulating them. You're not making it difficult for them to know what's going on in the moment. A little thing I saw a lot of from Costa Rica were just dummies. There were just a ton of dummies in and around the Jamaica box. And I'm not saying the U.S. needs to be especially flashy, but I think anything you can do to throw off that sort of static defensive approach, if that's what Jamaica are doing, it's going to help you. And so if there is a sort of overlapping run that like is played in and then the ball is cut back and somebody dummies that and it goes to Tyler Adams at the top of the box and he then spreads it wide to Serginho Dest, who's advancing in a in like two passes that involve four different players, but only two people on the ball, you suddenly have basically opened up Jamaica, you've made them sort of shift everybody on the fly, and that allows for those gaps to open up. It allows for 1v1 improvisation if you want to go that way. But I, I'm, I agree with you that too often we saw the United States sort of passing, putting a foot on it, passing, putting a foot on it, and then an individual trying to beat somebody to make something happen, getting stuck, and now you're open to the counter, and that's basically exactly what a team sitting in a bunker want you to do. So I want to see the U.S., uh, to your point, moving the ball quickly but with – sort of intent and with ideas behind it, but still taking some some gambles here and there, rolling the dice a little bit, but never leaving themselves wide open to a counterattack. And one thing I'll add to that, Taylor, in addition to ball movement, another really good way to to break through a low block is to have players who can drop their shoulder, get on the ball, drop their shoulder, and then beat a man on the dribble, right? And Christian Pulisic can do that a lot. He's the best dribbler in this pool, hands down. But at times, and we talked about this plenty, at times he was dominating the ball too much and sacrificing the open pass to continue his dribble, which just doesn't make sense in a lot of cases. He's not in this camp, but there are other players that are brought into this group that weren't in the September window and and weren't in the camp in September who can drop their shoulder and break through defensive lines. And Greg Velasquez on the Scuff podcast, who's been on this show now, which is beautiful, he's been doing some he's been doing some talking about this idea, specifically with, I think, Yunus Musa and maybe Luca De La Torre is being brought in as well. I would say both of those guys can do this thing. 
Taylor, you and I have seen Yunus Musa so many times do this for Valencia, where he gets on the ball, he drops his shoulder, and he just glides. The maneuver. He gl- yeah, the Musa maneuver, right? He glides past three, four, five players in La Liga, and then maybe the final product is lacking here, and he's playing in a weird spot with Valencia, and he has been dating back to last season. But players like Musa and Luca De La Torre, who are smooth on the ball, who can drop their shoulder, get on the ball, and glide forward, and instead of breaking lines with passing, they can break lines with with dribbling and break blocks that way. And I think that's going to be an asset for the U.S. in this window. I don't know how much of an asset it's going to be, and I do still have doubts about how the U.S.'s sixes and eights can actually help progress the ball with passing. But I don't think that I don't think we should overlook how much value a player like Musa or De La Torre or even McKenney in the right situation, how much value they can provide to help the yeah. U.S. move the ball and look dangerous in possession with their ability on the ball on the dribble. And when I think of the, the Musa maneuver, which I do love, and I, I believe credit to you, Joe, for coming up with that phrase, <laughs> uh, it's usually with somebody either on his back or on his hip as yeah. he's turning yeah. or trying to run with him while he's on the ball. And that feels like what will be the case against Jamaica, that there's going to be somebody on or around him that will be trying to like make him uncomfortable, make him play the ball back, make him hold it up. And And I think that... I picture him sort of turning there and kind of riding that challenge or bodying somebody. Maybe he fouls, maybe he draws a foul. But either way, I think that predictable unpredictability is what the United States needs from a player in that position playing that role. I don't know if Musa will start. I would like him to start. But I think there are certain strengths to him going in there and and playing the way he wants to play and making some of those runs, again, when the situation calls for it, when it seems like it's the right time as opposed to trying to do it every time. And I think he is usually pretty good about that. So uh, I'm with you on that one. Joe, any other potential opportunities you've seen from the Jamaica side of things? We've talked a lot about about what they might do defensively. We've talked a little bit about how they like to attack. I would say my, my, my basic feeling, even with the way things went last round of qualifying, the United States coming away with five points there, they're in a fine position right now. They're in third uh, in the table ahead of Panama, uh, not even on goal difference. I think it's on goals scored uh, and Jamaica bottom. So I think the U.S. should be feeling confident. I think we should be expecting a win, certainly on home soil. That uh, makes things uh, all the better. But I think there are still threats there, certainly. We've talked about Mikel Antonio. I talked about uh, what I think Shamar Nicholson could do. And we haven't even mentioned Andre Gray, who's in there. Jamal yeah. Lowe, yeah. Uh, 27-year-old for uh, Bournemouth, scored in his debut for Jamaica. He's another one who can bring a lot of flair, can bring a lot of uh, danger to the Jamaica attack. So there are certainly weapons there if the U.S. is is caught out, if the U.S. isn't sort of ready to deal with those those possibilities. But I think if they are then there are tons of opportunities to go at Jamaica's defense and make Jamaica uncomfortable and basically kind of starve those attackers of like opportunities in and around the U.S. goal, or I guess in and around the U.S. box, if they're in the goal, something else has happened. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think basically there are threats there, but the United States can neutralize those by keeping the ball, by making Jamaica sit deeper and deeper and deeper, and never really letting them get into any sort of flow state where they can play and pass and move and, and kind of get into a rhythm. If the U.S. can can knock them around early, I think they can keep knocking them. And I will say that if the U.S. scores a goal, I, I weirdly, this is really, really weird. I don't want them to score in the first like 10 minutes because we've often seen the U.S., 
then back off a bit if they score really, really early. But I would love to see the United States score inside the first maybe 10 to 20 minutes in that window because I think then we'll see Jamaica push for it, try to make something happen, and that tends to be when they get carved apart, when they leave themselves really open, is when they're trying to push for a goal, push for an equalizer, get their way back into a game. So plenty of opportunities, I think, for the United States, but we haven't talked much about the personnel or the lineup or things, other things we'd like to see. Joe, shall we do that in our final segment of, the, of today's episode? Oh, let's do, Taylor. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Joe Lowry, we are back. I know you and Tom talked about your rosters. You and mustachioed, well-coiffed Tom. I'm bringing it back. Uh, Joe, any, any other uh, specific things that you could see the United States trying to do when, it, when we come to uh, Jamaica's approach or what Jamaica might want to do? Uh, I, I guess to close, I can see the U.S. trying to take advantage of the inherent gaps that are there when Jamaica actually yep. have possession. I mentioned earlier how it's not super structured when they're in, when they're in possession Jamaica. There's opportunities for the U.S. to take advantage of turnovers and, and then exploit the weird spacing that Jamaica has. They don't always have really well put together rest defense and, and rest defense is kind of a tactical term that means your shape when you lose the ball, right? A, a lot of modern soccer is based around transitions. And so teams don't just prepare for transitions after they've lost the ball. They start preparing for them even before they've lost the ball, or at least they should. Jamaica, in what I've seen, doesn't do the best job of that. They'll lose the ball and there'll be these big gaps around the turnover area. And that allows other teams to just attack right through that. that. Panama did exactly that. They won a ball in midfield and just knifed right through Jamaica for one of their goals in that 3-0 win for Panama in September. There's chances for the U.S. to do that. There's chances for the U.S. to fight and win those second balls after Jamaica plays direct. And then counterattack into space. They're going to have dangerous counterattacking players. The U.S. will in this window with Aronson, with Tim Weah, guys that will get in behind, get on the ball, drive it forward and then cause problems for, for Jamaica in the box. So those are a couple of other things that could result from Jamaica's possession player, their attacking movements. There are going to be opportunities that stem from, from what Jamaica's doing with the ball that could give the U.S. a bit of a boost in this game. All right, well then let's talk about that U.S. team or the U.S. team we would like to see. Joe, we usually do a sort of combination of what we think Burhalter will do and then what we would like him to do. Uh, I've, I've maybe leaned a little bit more into what I want him to do. Uh, but one area we might disagree on to start is in goal, because I, I am with you that Matt Turner has earned the starting job, uh, in my opinion. But if we still have, I don't know where Panama, Panama is on the, the red list situation. I don't know if Zach Steffen is allowed to travel. So they're, there's an idea there that maybe Stefan starts this first game because he's not going to be with the team in Panama. So then it's Matt Turner from there on out. On the flip side, it could be Matt Turner in this game, Matt Turner in the second game, Zach Stefan in the third. It might be Matt Turner in all three. But that's the kind of only way I see Zach Stefan starting this one. And if he does, I won't be reading too much into it for that reason. So I wanted to get that out there early and then say I still think it should be Matt Turner just so I don't upset you too much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I do think it will be Matt Turner in this first game. And I think from what I have read that the COVID restrictions for that that middle game of the window will be relaxed and that everybody okay. will be allowed to travel. I was really trying to find a concrete bit of information about that earlier today before we recorded. I could not. So, so obviously take that with a grain of salt. 
I, I just don't think you really need to worry about rotating these goalkeepers too much. I asked Tom about that, and he basically said he wouldn't be surprised to see it go either way with either one of, of Turner or Steffen starting pretty much any of these games, if I remember correctly. I just, I mean, goalkeepers aren't running a lot. Unless Matt Turner gets hurt, I don't see a huge need to start Steffen. But like you're saying, Taylor, I wouldn't be surprised to see some back and forth, whether that's due to COVID restrictions in international travel or just because Baralta still isn't fully set on Matt Turner being the starting goalkeeper. All right, and then ahead of Matt Turner, my assumption is that we will see a back four uh, because that's what we've played against Jamaica previously and because the back three really did not work uh, in that first half <laughs> against Honduras. And I think it sort of picks itself. I have it as Robinson, Richards, Robinson, and Dest. Anthony Robinson, Anthony Robinson, just to be very clear, on the left. Uh, Serginho Dest on the right. Miles Robinson at right center back. And I have Chris Richards at left center back. Other options would be Mark McKenzie and Walker Zimmerman. I thought it might be Tim Ream until I realized that he wasn't on this yeah. roster. And that makes that much more unlikely. You and Tom were discussing if it would be Brooks in there. Obviously, it will not be due to that back injury. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing it's Richards Robinson. Maybe it's Zimmerman. Maybe it's McKenzie. Joe, what about you? I'm guessing the same thing you're guessing, Taylor. The fullbacks yep. seem to be easier to me than the center backs. Serginho Dest on the right and Anthony Robinson on the left just makes the most sense. There are other fullback options here. George Bellow, uh, Shaq Moore, and DeAndre Yedlin. But I, I, I just don't see those guys leaping over Dest and Robinson in that depth chart for the first game. Center backs, I think it should absolutely 100% be Miles Robinson and Chris Richards based off of form, based off of those two players' relative abilities compared to Mark McKenzie and Walker Zimmerman. I, I really like those two center backs, Richards and Miles Robinson. I would not be surprised at the same time if Chris Richards didn't start this game. He's not a player that Berhalter is overly familiar with on a personal level, at least as far as we can tell. This will be his second camp with the U.S. men's national team. Mark McKenzie's had more time under Berhalter, and I don't think Mark McKenzie is the level of center back that, that Chris Richards is, but it would not surprise me to see McKenzie start next to Miles Robinson in this first game if Berhalter doesn't feel like Richards is ready to go. I think that would be a mistake, to be clear, but you know, there's a few of these situations where I can see what Berhalter might do, even if it's not exactly the, the center back pairing that I would opt for. Yeah, and I think that's well said, because that's sort of why I like doing these shows, is not to say, like, here's what he should do, otherwise they're not going to win, but to look at what we would like to see happen, but also to look at what he might do, why he might not do that, and why. And I think you're absolutely right, that Chris Richards coming in might not be ready, there might be that lack of familiarity, you might not want to throw him in right away, whereas you have uh, McKenzie and Zimmerman, who both have plenty of experience, so maybe you let them start, you see how camps progress, and you give Richards some minutes here and there, maybe he starts the next game, but I won't be... Uh, too disappointed either way. Weirdly, I wouldn't be too disappointed if Shaq Moore started. Uh, I would much prefer Serginho Dest, but the reason for that, uh, for why I wouldn't be so bummed is because I took a look, as I said, back at the USA-Jamaica game from the Gold Cup and realized that I believe eight of the 11 starters from that game are in this squad. We had Sam Vines, who's uh, obviously injured on, uh, at left back, Shaq Moore at right back, Miles Robinson and James Sands were your two center backs. The midfield three was Legette, Acosta, and Busio. And then your more attacking three were Hoppy, Daryl DK, and Paul Areola, uh, Matt Turner in goal. So that's where, if it is Shaq Moore, maybe that's why. Maybe he has priors with uh, Jamaica, but I still think it's probably going to be Dest on the right. And Anthony Robinson on the left, and maybe Robinson scores some more in-step goals, and all <laughs> is right with the world. I'm also this is where I this is where more like what I would like to see. Uh, I am assuming it will be Tyler Adams as that lone 
pivot. And what I would like to see is Weston McKinney ahead of him and Eunice Musa also ahead of him. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Tyler Adams with Acosta and Sebastian Legette. Uh, that would make some sense to me. And I don't think Burhalter is still dwelling on the Weston McKinney COVID situation. It sounds like from your conversation with Tom, he is not. But maybe there's just that final little bit of punishment. I think that would be a bit much. I'm excited to not have to talk about that anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I do think it's Adams. I do think it's McKinney. I'm less sure about who that other midfielder might be. Yeah, this is, Taylor, I'm in almost the exact same spot as you here. You you named my preferred midfield three with Adams at the six and McKenney and Musa ahead of him. I, I really want to see Musa start because I think, well, we've already talked about why. He's got that quality on the ball to deal with a player on his back and drive forward and break through a defense that way. And I think that could be huge for the U.S. in this game and in this window. But like you're saying, Kellen Acosta would not surprise me if he starts as one of those eights. Even Luca De La Torre or Gianluca Busio wouldn't shock me. Not not especially likely, I don't think. But those guys could get a start. Legette starting would not surprise me at all. Christian Roldan surprising, uh, starting would be a big surprise to me um, because I think Berhalter prefers him as, he calls them solutions, but one of those substitutes off the bench trying to change the game later on in a match. So, I mean, of those players we named, it would not shock me if any of them started outside of, of Tyler Adams being displaced by one of those guys. But at the end of the day, I'd like to see that adams mckenney Musa trio because I, I don't think we – shoot, man, have we seen it before? I cannot remember. Maybe it happened towards the end of 2020 in one of those European friendlies. But we haven't seen it much, certainly, if we've seen it at all. Yeah, I can't remember if we have – uh, or like if we have from the start, uh, we certainly seen Sebastian Legette start as one of those midfield roles. We've seen Christian Roldan in there as well. I, I sort of have both of them as almost like break glass in case of emergency comfort blanket. Like if we need people to come in and sort of do the, the basic things that Berhalter wants this team to do and to do them well, you bring them in to basically just make things run a bit more smoothly if things aren't working. I would rather have them be the sort of calming presences in the second half rather than, than starting with them. Again, I won't be too disappointed either way, but I would really like it to be Musa, Weston McKinney, and Tyler Adams just because I think that that trio causes a lot of chaos for Jamaica doesn't present as much chaos for the U.S. defense and is just capable of scrapping, is capable of battling and fighting for for balls, but then keeping possession and playing the technical side as well. I think it gives us a lot of positives. Uh, any any mentions for Busio or Luca De La Torre? I don't expect either to start. Maybe uh, both will get minutes. Maybe neither will get minutes. Uh, but I think Busio is probably in there for the Gold Cup experience and for maybe what he's been doing in Serie A. Luca De La Torre is one that you and I have talked about previously in our Americans Abroad roundups. We haven't talked about him as much lately, but it is uh, exciting to see him there. Always good to see uh, more faces brought in to get more opportunities with the team. First of all, I was wrong about Musa McKenny Adams. We did see them start together against Wales um, previously in a friendly over in Europe. So eh. you guys can delete those tweets. Eh. I have I have atoned for my sin in, in naming that <laughs> fact. Um, about Busio and Luca De La Torre, maybe I'm just a miser, Taylor. We've talked about Busio a lot on this show. And Adam Snavely and I did a show last week with some USMNT mm-hmm. listener questions. And we talked about Busio and how we would be surprised if he was called up anytime soon to the national team. And then literally the next day, Greg Berhalter calls him up and compliments the work he's been doing in Syria. And a lot of the things that Busio has been doing in Syria have been good, but I, I still just don't fully see it yet. He's shown glimpses with the national team at the Gold Cup. It hasn't been super consistent there. It still hasn't been super consistent at club level. I still see a lot of flaws in his game. I'd love to be proven wrong over and over again about Busio, and I will happily eat my words down the line. I don't see him playing a major 
majorly effective role in this camp. Luca De La Torre, somewhat the same. I, I think he brings a lot of qualities that Busio just doesn't and, and qualities that a lot of other players don't. He's smooth on the ball. He's a connector in midfield, and I think the U.S. could use that. So of those two players, Busio and De La Torre, I'd rather see De La Torre be more involved in this camp. All right. All right. So we'll see what happens with that midfield. And then the front three, assuming it's a 4-3-3, a little bit more open than I expected and a little bit more opportunity for experimentation for me, at least, I think. Uh, but Joe, what do you make of your options here? Uh, it does seem like it's, it's probably Pepe and Zardes would be the two candidates to start in the number nine spot. And I won't be surprised if it's Zardes. I would prefer it to be Ricardo Pepe just to kind of keep it going and see what he's capable of. Uh, in another game, maybe he keeps scoring. Maybe we see that drop off that we sometimes see with that kind of that number nine who scores the big goal and he's the next big thing. And then there's maybe a, a coming back down to earth. Maybe there won't be for Pepe. But either way, I think it's worth kind of seeing what he can do from the start and then seeing how he progresses with this team over these three games. I think you have to ride the hot hand, right, Taylor? We've talked about that yep. before. Pepe is the hot yep. nine right now. And not that he will always be and not that there aren't going to be growing pains. But, I mean, he scored that goal against Honduras and was very good in that second half. I think you want to continue that momentum or, or at least put Pepe in a position where he can continue that momentum and continue to impact this team's attacking play. So I, I would start Pepe at the nine over Zardes. It would not surprise me, again, like with the center back situation. It would not surprise me if we saw Zardes. In, in looking at the wings, it wouldn't surprise me if we see Paul Ariola start on the right or, or even on the left, but I'd expect him to play on the right if he is in that lineup. Tom and I both had Brendan Aronson and Tim Weah as our preferred starting wingers, and those still are my preferred starting wingers. I think they're better players than Paul Areola is from a pure talent and, and ability standpoint. But Paul Areola has some defensive chops that Berhalter really likes. He's also a guy that Berhalter knows really well. And so it would not shock me one bit if we see Paul Areola start on the right and Brendan Aronson or Tim Weah start on the left with Zardes or Pepe as the nine. There's a lot of different combinations here, Taylor, and, and some yeah. that I, I prefer certainly over others. But the good thing about this group is they have the talent, pretty much no matter who's on the field. If it's Zach Steffen and goal, weird rotations along the back line, different stuff in midfield and along the forward line, as long as players are in spots where they're comfortable and can be effective, which is not always what we saw in the last window in September, as long as players are being put in spots where they can succeed, the talent should be here where the U.S. can get results almost no matter who is on the field. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a positive way to look at it, and I feel feel like the need to drive that home before I then say there is a combination that I think I would like to see. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and, and it's not one that I think we will end up seeing. I, I feel like if we're kind of going with a combination of past this precedent with what maybe gets the best out of this team, I think you're right. It's probably Brendan Aronson and Timothy Weah on the wings. When I broke it down by position, I had your sort of left wing options as Aronson and Hoppy, your right wing options as Weah and Paul Ariola. But I think... It might make sense to have Matthew Hoppy on the left and Brandon Aronson on the right. I'm here for it. Because Hoppy in that Gold Cup uh, did that sort of left wing, but really more of a support striker slash other number 10, dropping in centrally and creating overloads. He did it really well and did it really consistently and was moving off the ball all the time, was running every single where, scrapped for everything. And, and I kind of like that. And then it lets Brandon Aronson do similar things on the right side. Uh, basically, I don't, I haven't seen Tim Weah enough this season due to injury and just not watching a ton of Lille to know 
how much he's able to do those things. I think it probably, again, is Tim Way on the right. But I do know that Paul Ariola, I, I think, doesn't really give you the technical precision that we've talked about needing in this game. So I wouldn't mind if it was Hoppy and Aronson. I wouldn't mind if it was Hoppy and Wea or Aronson and Wea. But I agree with you overall that either way, it should be the United States causing problems, getting goals, and looking confident and competent. Yeah, I mean, I'd be more than happy to see Hoppy start. And really, any combination of these wingers. Paul Riola is the guy that I'm least excited about, but that's just because I think we know the most about him at this point, right? He's the oldest of those four winger options. So it's fun to see young guys. It's fun to see new players. But really, any combination of those guys, I think, is going to be fine. Matthew Hoppy, I will add, had a lot of, of good moments in the Gold Cup, also had a lot of moments where you were like, oh, yeah, yep. he's raw, right? He's new. He's new to this whole professional soccer thing, which is true. He is, right? Hugely talented player, can already do a lot of things well at the professional level, but sometimes tried too many things, sometimes tried too much stuff and, and lost the ball in bad spots. And so I'm curious because I think we will see him in this window at some point with the the relative lack of options up front. Not that that's a problem, but it's just it's going to happen that these guys are rotated in and out. I'm excited to see how Hoppy develops, um, and, and I think he can make a lot of strides in this window. But yeah, Taylor, I'd be fine with Matthew Hoppy on the left, Aronson on the right. I'd be fine with almost any combo of these attacking players. Man, it's funny that you say that because I go back and look at those notes again, and that game is remembered as Hoppy scoring the winner and just like creating so much... Uh, like so many problems basically for Jamaica. But a lot of my notes are Holden noting that Hoppy is gassed inside the first 15 minutes of the start of the second <laughs> half and how he's been making a ton of runs, but maybe that has made him tired. There's another note about Hoppy giving the ball away and how he's turning it over centrally, which shows his inexperience. So maybe you're right then, Joe, that this is a game for Brendan Aronson to come in and sort of execute the game plan. Maybe... I feel like it's probably Paul Ariola to come in and execute the game plan. Uh, and he and he scrapped for everything. He worked hard. I have a couple different positive notes about Paul Ariola earning corners and chasing down balls. I don't have a ton about him being good in possession. So in the end, I'm going to say Aronson, Pepe, and Wea would be my my preferred front three for this game. And that's an exciting trio, right? It is. It's a big loss, and maybe maybe this has been under-discussed. I don't really know, but it's a big loss. We mentioned it already, at least, that Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic aren't here, right? That's that's a massive loss. Gio Reyna in particular, I think, I, I just am in love with how he plays soccer, and I think he's brilliant. I think he's the best player that the U.S. has, uh, and Tyler Adams is probably in that discussion, but Gio Reyna's been available more than Adams has, certainly. Missing those two wingers, uh, missing those two wingers, Reyna and Pulisic, is a huge loss, but it does say something about the state of the pool and the betterment of the U.S.'s talent pool that there are guys that we believe can come in and do this job and that clearly Greg Berhalter believes in as well, right? Wea and Hoppy and, and Ariola and, and specifically Brendan Aronson, all of those guys have the ability to come in and change the game, maybe Ariola in, in a different way, as we've already kind of discussed there's talent here, right? And that should be encouraging, even without two of the best players that the U.S. has in the pool, this squad still has the ability to go out and get results, and, and now it's time for them to show that they actually have that ability and just do it. But we are we are on the same page, Joe, that we're both expecting and hoping for uh, all three points and a, a confident win. I mean, yeah, absolutely, right? It's time to get results, and, and if the results yep. can come from a more tactically sound, smooth type of win, all the better. Um, I, I'm not necessarily expecting that, although I, I do believe that it could happen in a game like this with how poor Jamaica have been. This is a game where you need a result, right? This That should be the expectation against Jamaica in Austin. It's a home game against a team that's struggling and to, still trying to find themselves in CONCACAF. 
this should be three points and it kind of it doesn't all the way need to be three points right this is not the sports talk hot take kind of thing but it really should and it would be great for the u.s if it if it did yeah and and with that in mind i think also i am almost as happy with a one nil win as i am with a four or five to one win because that four or five to one win could be against a Jamaica team that are really wide open and are easy to kind of pick apart and find space. And if the U.S. scores in that, like in the 16th minute, let's say, and then add a couple, like one more before halftime, and then Jamaica are kind of pushing for it, that that tells us that the United States can can basically carve apart an opponent like that. But if it's a one nil win where the U.S. has to sort of find a way through and they do so successfully by incorporating some of the keys to this game or things to keep an eye on that we've discussed, then that is also. A, a very positive step that they're able to kind of go against a bunkered team who are trying to frustrate and still end up getting the result. That's what you want to see. Even if it's not like completely comprehensively inspiring or impressive, it's still the result you need against a team that definitely don't want you to get that result. And so either way, I think I will be pretty happy provided it's a win. Yep. I'm right there with you, Taylor. All right, Joe. Well, uh, we've got some some things to keep an eye on. I have seven of them. Maybe I'll tweet them out after uh, we finish recording. But I've got keep an eye on Jamaica's defensive approach early and where they're sort of drawing their lines. How much space is there between those lines would be the second one. Uh, who's more up for loose balls and 50-50s? How quickly is the ball moving when the U.S. is in possession, specifically from side to side? How much off the ball movement is there from the United States? What can the U.S. do to exploit space uh, when Jamaica turn the ball over when they're in possession? And the final one would just be how much individuality is the United States reliant upon? Is it Serginho Dest trying to take people on 1v1 over and over and over again? Is it Matthew Hoppe doing that? If so, I don't think that that means the U.S. game plan is working because I doubt that's a thing that they had like, game planned for. So those would be my, my, my seven things to keep an eye on to understand what's happening in this game. Taylor, would it be the, the scribe, the TSS scribe? That's a, gr- that's, a, that's a list that I'm proud of. I think that's a good list. Um, thanks for noting those things down. You just made my life a lot easier. There we go, man. There we go. That's my goal. And and see, see, Tom doesn't do that. He might have a mustache, but he doesn't do that. Uh, Joe Lowry, I look forward to talking with you about this game on Thursday evening. Uh, we, I'm not going to commit us to a quick take hot take, but we leave that possibility open, especially because we have a relatively early kickoff. I'm really grateful it's not a 10 p.m. kickoff. Yes, I will yes. say, having been on the West Coast, it's... I still like do my like group messaging and stuff at the same time. It's just weird because then I keep wondering why no one is responding and then I remember it's like one or two AM on the East Coast. But the sports thing, Joe, it's not fun to wake up at like four AM for a Premier League kickoff, but like NFL starting at ten AM, I have no problems with that. Uh and and yeah, just being able to sort of like watch a night game and then still have the night ahead of you. It, it it's pretty great. It's pretty great, I have to say. It's phenomenal. The the domestic soccer scheduling here on the West Coast is perfect, and I would not change a thing. I did complain a little bit about those late starts because I I don't know I'm kind of weak. I don't like to stay up super late, so the late starts in September weren't my favorite thing. But four thirty, three p.m. and four p.m. kickoffs, or, or roughly those times, that is beautiful. The challenge just does come when we're talking about Liverpool City or whatever, and it's yeah. it's on at five a.m. Uh, that's that's not mm. my favorite thing, Taylor. But uh, you know. Pluses and minuses here. <laughs> Pluses and minuses indeed. Joe Lowry, thank you so much for talking about uh, USA Jamaica with me today. Yeah, absolutely, Taylor. It's it, it's so good to have you back, man. It's very good to be back, man. Uh, listeners, hopefully you all agree. Thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon.